Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, September 20th, the Toxic Preschool Edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm an editor at Slate. I'm the father of Eliza, who's seven, and Leo, who is four, and I have a cough. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I'm a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 17, Teddy, who is 15, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who's away at college, who is 18. And I am Steve Lichtai. I am the executive producer of podcasts at Slate, and I am the dad to Hank, seven, and Gus, four. Carvel Wallace will be back next week. Today on our show, we have a question about toxic masculinity, and we have another about what to do when your kid's teacher is giving them the wrong kind of praise. Plus, as always, we'll have triumphs and fails. We'll have recommendations on Slate Plus. Uh, We'll take another question, this one with a crisp, colorful candy shell and a delicious chocolatey center. But first, triumphs and fails. Steve, you're our guest host this week. Do you have a triumph or a fail for us? It's a triumph that came from a fail. But don't they all, I suppose. Um, (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) you know that scene uh, in Airplane? where one of the passengers becomes hysterical and the stewardess shakes her and tells her to calm down. And then another passenger walks up and says he'll take care of it. Then he slaps her. And then Leslie Nielsen's <laughs> character shows up and slakes her and slaps her. And then the camera pans out and there's a whole line of people waiting to take their turn. I yes. do know that, that scene, is, yes. Do you know that scene? I, I do. <laughs> it's a great scene. Uh, and that's basically our parenting style. Um, <laughs> which... Which, or I should say, that has been our parenting style. And we realize that what we've been doing, we don't, we don't obviously slap and shake our children, but we do tend to pile on with the corrections. So I might say, Hank, will you stop, you know, stop hitting your brother? And then my wife will say, yeah, Hank, stop hitting your brother, you know, and then we'll just keep going. <laughs> She's backing like you this. up. She's got your back. Yeah. 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 And it's like, a, and, and the thing is, like, now my Hank, who's, who's seven and a half now, is just like, okay, guys, I get it. You know, you don't need to be like piling on me about this. Just, one correction, one parent. That's and, really the note he gives you. That, that's a well, note almost. Hank. Yeah, he's like he's like mother, father. Please, one correction, <laughs> one parent. Uh, but he he was he was getting exasperated with the sort of the pile on, and you, we could tell, and it was frustrating, and it was frustrating to us too because it, it, you really you don't need to have that instant sort of backup um of of the the double the double correction or the double yell so my my wife and i sort of sat down and said listen let's try to keep this focused you know one one parent at a time when we're making a correction uh based on you know some misbehavior and uh we've kind of stuck to that over the past couple three weeks and it's been much better like it it decreases the tension surrounding that moment and that that thing and you know it's usually very minor things and these are corrections like hey hank pick up your backpack and it used to be, pick up your backpack. And then my wife, pick up your backpack. And we would just keep, I made her sound really awful. <laughs> Sometimes it's me saying, pick up your backpack. But Did we basically Steve, stopped doing listen, that. For listeners who don't know, Steve used to be in the Marines and uh, apparently so did his wife. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we we call our children recruits. Um, recruit Lictai, pick up your backpack. And so we, your sea bag. Um, 
So we, we stopped doing that. And uh, it's, it's been a much better and more receptive uh, environment. And uh, I think Hank and Gus just don't feel like the, the stress of being, you know, ganged up on by their mom and dad. So triumph. That's a great triumph. Um, I have a fail. It's a, the culmination of a fail that I've talked about before. Um, and I was thinking, well, I've talked about this before, and that's my excuse not to share it with the listeners to this podcast. But um, it, when I do an honest self-assessment, this is definitely the, the thing in my parenting that I feel the worst about right now. Uh, and therefore, I it is my solemn duty to present it to you for judgment. Um, I have talked a little bit about how I was late to teach Eliza to ride a bike, but then we got on it and I got her a bike and we started doing bike riding lessons and she was excited about the idea of riding a bike and I, I worked with her on it and she was almost uh, up for, like I could let go of her for a few seconds and she can balance and it's just about getting the courage to ride the bike. The trouble is that in between bike riding sessions, she became super afraid now of riding a bike and refuses now to get on the bike, even though she's literally one good lesson away from riding the bike. But now she will spontaneously tell me, Dad, I don't want to learn to ride a bike. Why are you going to make me ride a bike? Because I've told her that she has to ride a bike. She has to learn to ride a bike because it's uh, something that you need to be able to do in our society. Um, and I like if I had started a little earlier. Sorry, it's, not, it's not like swimming. It like, is she doesn't like have swimming. To, like, walk across a field of bikes and she might die if she doesn't know how to ride one. It's exactly <laughs> it's exactly like swimming. You don't want to be a grown up who can't ride. You don't want to be a teenager who can't ride a bike. You don't want you like she needs to be able to ride. If she grows up, to, if she reaches adulthood and goes off to college, like as one of those weird people who doesn't know how to ride a bike, that will be on me. But yeah. she is genuinely anxious about it and upset about the prospect of doing it and really resistant to doing it and and all of this is my fault and if I had just started earlier and done it more expeditiously then I would now have a very happy bike riding seven-year-old and instead it's this big point of anxiety that is going to be much more of a pain and I, I, I was thinking like when I when she learns how to ride a bike then it'll be this great triumph that I can talk about on the show but um, it, it feels like that's getting farther away rather than closer um, hmm. so that's my fail. Well, my 18-year-old stepdaughter doesn't know how to ride a bike because her parents were too scared to teach her. So yeah. she's a super weird person who doesn't know how to ride a bike. Yeah, that's not on me, though. <laughs> that, that, that's on you, really. That's true. It's on me. I tried to intervene. Didn't work out. You know, I wasn't I didn't have the kind of agency at that point when she was like seven and eight and nine that I have now where I could be like, guys, this is ridiculous. I'm just going to take her to do it. Yeah. But it was on her parents. They were too scared. They thought she couldn't handle it. She was too clumsy and stuff. Weird, mm. right? Yeah. <laughs> So my, my my wife never learned to ride a bike, and she had to take adult bike riding lessons uh, last summer. <laughs> does and she know she, you're going on this show, Steve? She does not. Nope. I never tell her. And my name is not Steve. Um, she had to do it, and she you know, it was a three-hour long class, and she they start you with no pedals, and then they mm. you graduate up, and she now can ride um, a bike for the most part. <laughs> well, that's a triumph for your wife. <laughs> I just had like a super dark like association. I thought about that movie, uh, Sleeping with the Enemy with Julia Roberts, where she doesn't know how to swim and she has to go take adult swimming lessons so she can get away from her like horrible husband. And like, I just imagine your wife in the middle of the night with her like go bag and her bicycle. Like, I can finally do this now. I can get out. Sorry, dark reference, but that's immediately what I thought about <laughs> adult bike riding lessons. Like... 
Like, where does one even do that? Where does one take the adult bike riding lessons? I was thinking I need to sign Eliza up for some like professional bike riding lessons because my own skill as a bike riding teacher, which is apparently an essential part of fatherhood, is is evidently insufficient. And and that again, this just feels like I really fucked this one up. This bike thing. All right, <laughs> on to you, Rebecca. Do you have a triumph or a fail this time? I've got a fail and it's more of a fail of intentions than um, result because I was able to undo my fail and it's more the impulse that's the fail. So, you know, I can just chalk this off to my usual fail that I think I've brought up a couple times in the show before about my like weird wanting to like be involved in the whole college thing for Henry and like helping him like pick the right ones to apply to you and all that stuff. But um, I will just give you like one piece of background that might help you understand the impulse more so than me just being like a mom who's just like a super dick. Um, I, in my day job, am an editor. So I run a news website. I take radio stories and turn them into print stories. And I work with really smart reporters. And I literally just take their work and do a lot of rewriting. It's a big part of my job or I help them do it or whatever. So I'm very accustomed just to having something shared with me, just going in and like making it good or fixing it or writing a story, you know, and I'm also a writer. So it's sort of that impulse of just like, if you see something, write it or fix it. So Henry has been making the, let's put it on him for a second, huge mistake of sharing via Google Doc his college essay drafts with me. Mm. <laughs> and he this, did this isn't yesterday. going anywhere good. <laughs> he did this yesterday when I was at work and I was doing something else. I was like listening to a conference call in one ear and I just opened it. And completely reflexively, without any thinking of like why I'm doing this or why it could be right or why it could be wrong, I just started rewriting the college essay, like not putting comments and notes in and, you know, suggestions, but literally just like deleting sentences and rewriting them. And then I got off the conference call and I was like, oh, shit, this is a college essay. I don't know what I thought it was. I don't know if like I convinced myself subliminally that this was like something else he was sending me. And even if it was like it wouldn't have been OK for me to just go in and rewrite it. So I had to thank goodness Google Doc has that revert to earlier versions function. So I was able to do that and like pretend to him and me like it never happened, or at least I thought so. And then he arrived home last night and he was like, Mom, I I, I think you saw I shared my draft of my college essay with you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I saw that. I said, I can, I'm happy to like talk to you about it, give you some of my thoughts or whatever. So he's like, what happened to all those corrections you made? I really want them back. <laughs> Apparently he was watching live as I was doing all this rewriting. Oh, he was God. watching me do it. And he was super psyched about those uh, rewrites. And then I took them away. So fail on a few different levels, but mostly on my inability to just not physically just like get in and, and do it and touch it. Like that IT guy, like they used to make fun of on Saturday Night Live, was like, move and just like gets in and does it. That's me when it came to the stupid college essay. And I'm very ashamed. I was able to undo it, but doesn't make me less ashamed. Wow. I just want to say one of the things at which I was the most angry uh, at my own late father was when I gave him my college applications to mail from his office and he made photocopies of them before mailing them and he gave me the photocopies and I saw that he had made a very, very small correction on one of them. I, <laughs> I, I went fucking apeshit. Like... <laughs> I, I just rem I still I just remember how how livid I was and the correction was it was a it, like he claimed that I had made a, a, a syntactic error in a sentence 
I maintain, even now as a professional editor in my 40s, I maintain that it wasn't an error. It was a stylistic choice. Mm. Um, but the but but he like there was a little he marked it up on the page in very neat handwriting that could have been mine and with a little carrot pointing at the word that he had inserted. But um, still, I had you know I'd copied the thing out neatly. We did all these things by hand back then, and we walked six miles to school with a piece of coal back on the back of a shovel or whatever. But um, <laughs> I just I I it, it as it was my first. Uh, you know, going to college and applying to college was this sort of big adult autonomy step for me, and and he had compromised it, and and yet again was clipping my wings, and I just was filled with rage at him, um, and and this was uh, you know. Um, one of the last times I had the opportunity to get super, super mad at my dad, um, mm-hmm. and the, so um, yeah, if you if you if you had done that to me, if we'd had Google Docs in those days, and I had seen my dad <laughs> fucking around in my college essay, uh, he he would have heard about it. Did you yeah. get in to that school? I did get into that school, and I was so relieved. Well, cause, then cause we thought, know who to thank. I thought. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Now Thanks, none Dad. of my accomplishments are really mine. That's right. That's right. Oh man. <laughs> it's too bad your first uh, act of autonomy wasn't just going to the post office your damn self to mail your college applications. Great point. Great point. <laughs> <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Before we move on, let's do the business. As always, if you have a question that you would like us to answer on the air, you can leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or send us an email at slate.com. Also, check out our Facebook group. Just go on Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. Uh, It's a really fun community. Lots of great discussion there about the show, people sharing their triumphs, fails, recommendations, the works. Uh, Don't miss it. On Slate Plus today, we're going to take another question. Uh, If you want to hear that discussion, you should be a member of Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash momanddadplus to find out how to sign up. It's just $35 for your first year. Uh, You help us cover the costs of making this show, and you get an extra segment like that every week, plus no ads anywhere in your Slate podcasts. Uh, Again, that address is slate.com slash momanddadplus. Sign up today. Okay, let's go. Time to take a question from a listener. Here's one that came to us by email. It's being read for us by Slate-Atorial Assistant Rachel Hampton. Dear Mom and Dad, I live in Oakland, California, and have a spirited, hilarious, and caring two-and-a-half-year-old boy. I am curious about your perspective regarding toxic masculinity in boys. I was talking to some friends the other day, and one of them recounted a story of picking up her kid at school, and all the four-year-old boys were shooting imaginary guns. She regarded this as sort of a stepping stone to toxic masculinity. Another friend told a story about a 12-year-old boy whipping a saw around his head at a playground where kids help build the play structures. While the saw story is dangerous, I would not define this or the other example as toxic masculinity. This conversation got me thinking. What does toxic masculinity look like in kids? I can honestly say that I'm not sure. Besides the values we want to teach all our kids, are there particular actions that need to be nipped in the bud for little boys? 
like shooting guns. I hope for him to understand his privilege and know the ways in which toxic masculinity detrimentally affects people and communities. I also do not want to attribute harmless or even careless play to toxic masculinity. My two-year-old boy has just started to shoot me. My husband and I don't love it, but my instinct is to let it go and with the understanding that we will talk and talk about gun violence and patriarchy when it gets older. I love your thoughts on this subject. Thanks so much. I have a, a friend who is a, actually works in sort of child psychology. It's like a counselor. And she she said to me, I had we had talked about something like this before, and I, I referenced this question. And she said that uh, boys just want to ejaculate. Like that's all they want to do. And they see the gunplay, the shooting, the sort of uh, the, the, the energy that's seen as, as sort of aggressive as that innate need and desire to, to do that. And I know that sounds sort of crass and, I, I'm, and maybe it sounds like I'm trying to be funny, but what, she, what she's getting at is that there's this innate desire to sort of exhibit those behaviors and it's very hard to stifle them. And I think that's, I think that's kind of true because I, my seven-year-old is not one of the, um, as he likes to call them, he's not one of the tough boys. Uh, that he knows he he doesn't wrestle and he's not a puncher uh, but he still likes to do pretend gun stuff and he likes to pretend that he's shooting and he likes to pretend that he has a laser gun and we used to have the same fears of of being worried about uh, oh no is he going to grow up to be a serial killer is he uh, going to learn that guns are okay and that you can shoot people and that there's no repercussions and the thing is when we stopped sort of talking about it with him he seemed to do it a lot less um, and we just kind of let it be a natural part of his play. Uh, and same with the boys that he may play with at playgrounds or over at our house or something. We we don't step in to give the lecture, and we certainly don't double team on that lecture, um, about why or why not, you know, you should be using your finger as a gun or or what guns mean and how that leads to – or punching each other or wrestling. We sort of just let it play out on its own until, you know, unless someone's getting hurt. So I guess I'm ultimately saying here that I see this as sort of a natural part of being male, and I know that's probably going to open up a whole Pandora's box of trouble uh, in saying that. But I do think there's some aspect of that that feels like a very uh, innate sort of desire in a majority of, of young boys is to be uh, sort of gunplay and aggressive play like that. And uh, I will take my answer off the air. I'm really worried about what I just said, but I no, think no, that that's... No, I, no, I wouldn't be. I mean, I, we've talked about this in the show before because we had a we had somebody write in a while back about her concern that her son was, you know, wanting to play with toy guns. And I recounted the story about how my aunt, who was my parenting mentor growing up, who also had two boys, always told me that if you don't let your boys or kids... Um, get toy guns, they will just make them out of sticks they find in your yard, which turned out to be completely true on my part, because I was one of those, like, no toy guns ever, and then the sticks thing happened, and then we got into Nerf guns, and we ended up having, like, a Nerf uh, artillery situation. Like, we could literally, like, arm a Nerf army with the amount of Nerf guns we have purchased in this house over time. I mean, I, th I think that that play is not, for me anyway, signals of toxic masculinity. What is is if there's no conversation around it, around, you know, kids who don't want to play that way and how that's okay too. I mean, sort of the assumption that boys or kids might make that there's something wrong with you if you don't want to play with guns, like that's toxic masculinity, right? Um, I had an interesting thing happen today that I was really happy we were answering this question because it just happened like an hour ago. Um, 
Henry has uh, senior privileges now, so he came home for lunch, and he was telling me that there's drama uh, in school today around uh, homecoming. They're homecoming. This is homecoming week. They're having, like, spirit week. They're having all these activities in school. And today is the day they're selecting homecoming king and queen. And these two boys, uh, both straight, popular boys, uh, decided to run together as for homecoming king and queen, and they were asked not to. And he was really upset about it. He was like, "That just it just seems like just administration, you know, being hypocritical, blah, 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 blah. And I, you know, he's telling me all this stuff. And I, I you know, I let him finish talking. And I said, I'm just going to ask you to think about this. Ask you to think about whether or not if you were in your class and you saw these two very dynamic, very popular guys running for a king and queen together, like imagine that you're gay. And imagine that perhaps this scenario makes you feel unsafe or mocked or belittled or in some way like they are, you know, doing a parody of you. And imagine that maybe you went and talked to somebody at the school and imagine the way the school decided to handle it was perhaps not by saying somebody complained, you can't do this, but by saying, hey, uh, this seems like something that might feel not so great to people, disrespectful, whatever. So we're asking you to not do it. I said, just imagine that. Just imagine for a second that that could be the scenario. I said, I'm not saying that it is. I don't know anything about this. But, you know, I could imagine feeling that way if I were in your class and these two albeit very nice boys, but also kind of clowny boys were doing this. You know, plus there also is another boy in the running who is gay, who's running with a a girl who's a friend of his. And, you know, I, I could just see that dynamic could be weird, you know, for other kids. So we had that conversation. And then about 15 minutes later, he got a phone call from one of his friends and he was talking about the drama around homecoming. And then he said, you know what, though, I was just talking to my mom and she was pointing out that, you know, maybe somebody's was feeling unsafe. Maybe somebody was feeling like mocked or whatever by it. And I'm like, that is how you talk about toxic masculinity, right? Um, because that's the conversation. I'm not saying that any of the things that I posed to him were true. I have no idea. I don't know what the administration was thinking. I was just thinking about it the way that I think about it. But those are the conversations we've had all the time since he was little, starting with things like playing with guns and the kinds of play you do and the boy versus girl thing and the this boy doesn't seem to want to do the things that other boys want to do. It's like you have to always have that conversation about everybody and not worry about the details, like whether or not your kid is picking up a gun and, and, and playing you know, a toy gun and, and pretending to shoot because that is super duper natural play. I completely agree with Steve on that front. I mean, I think the the thing to realize in in thinking about this question and thinking about stuff like kids playing with boys playing with guns, anybody playing with guns, um, is is that um, toxic masculinity is not a behavior that exists entirely separately from everything else in society. That there isn't like all this normal, healthy stuff that we all do in our great society, and then occasionally there's this crazy, twisted, toxic masculinity behavior that you have to stamp out. That in fact we we live in a patriarchal society, and and the you know these um, patterns of privilege and discrimination are very deeply embedded in in basically everything that we do. And even if you are doing your best to raise your kids in a progressive way or in a way that is conscious of gender equality and and patterns of historical discrimination and all of that, then then just if you're alive in America in 2018, 
um, you are embedded in a network of, of practices that, that will inevitably make their way into your home and that will contain a bunch of stuff that you that probably is not great. Um, I don't know if we, I don't know if I agree that playing with guns is an innate need for boys. I don't know if I agree with the Freudian interpretation that it, it, it's actually a desire to ejaculate, but but uh, certainly it, it's very common. And I've, I, my own son, got into the idea of playing with guns or playing with pretend guns when he was very small. And certainly, I've heard that from most parents of boys that they they seem to start doing this behavior, whether they have access to a toy gun or not, quite quite early. Um, it may be that it's innate. It may just be that the things are fucking everywhere, that every single, you know, um, movie or video or comic book or anything, even the ones for little kids involves characters who they see with guns, that it's like a powerful and deeply embedded image in our culture. Uh, and that's, that's intrinsically connected to, to prevailing ideas about masculinity. I don't think it really matters if you want to diagnose it as biological or not. Um, it, it seems like it's something that's going to come up and it certainly can't be something that you're going to like, it doesn't mean that if your little boy wants to play with a gun that he is, is, you know, behaving badly or is a perverted, toxic, masculine, whatever. Um, it means that he's growing up in Amer as a boy in America in 2018 and, and how you want to handle that is up to you. But I don't think it can be a question of like, well, are we going to stamp this with the toxic masculinity stamp and then extirpate it from our home? Or are we going to say, no, this is acceptable and welcome? I think it exists on a continuum and has to be discussed and, and framed. Personally, like I don't encourage kids to play with toy guns, but I also don't say, no, you're not allowed to point your fingers at me and go pew, pew, pew. I just kind of try to ignore it and not make it into a bigger deal than, than it would be otherwise and wait for him to grow out of it. But I also assume that at some point he's going to be like watching superhero movies with guns and then playing video games in which he's pretending to shoot people with guns and that, that pretend gun violence is, is going to be something he's going to be part of the sea that he swims in, whether I like it or not. And I don't like it. Um, and, and so it seems more important to talk to him about guns to talk to him about um, male privilege, to talk to him about how you uh, treat women one-on-one -on -one and in groups and, and all of that stuff and make him aware of things that will help him be a good person and a good man rather than looking for particular behaviors to label as toxic and, and then try to stamp out just those behaviors in isolation because I just don't think it works like that. I, I want to say I agree with you that the, the gun part is not the 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 – the problem, you know, or, or the or the wrestling or anything like that. It is that sort of male privilege thing that I think is you have to be very sort of aware of in your in your young boys and making them understand. I, what would worry me more than anything is not Hank or Gus having pretending they're shooting people, although I wouldn't necessarily like it. It's it would be them not being accepting of things that there are sort of outside the norms of society, uh, people who are different, who dress differently, who maybe are, you know, uh, questioning their gender or they are, 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 you know, coming. There's a young boy in one of our classes who, who, who comes to school wearing dresses and, and, and the kids don't think anything of it. Uh, it doesn't even phase them. And I just, I would worry if I started to, to see something that it did phase them, that, that, if Hank became, um, you know, th thought that was weird, or became, or started making fun of that person, or being re that that feels that feels toxic to me. That's something that I don't want him to have, and I would try to intervene. But if he starts wrestling a little bit with another boy or, or pointing a gun, I'm going to probably stay out of it.
All right. Uh, thanks a lot for the question. Um, hope that was helpful. And um, let us know what you think. Uh, send us an email, momanddad at slate.com, or uh, post on our Facebook group. Go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're going to take another question this one also over email, this one also being read by Rachel Hampton. Dear mom and dad are fighting. My three-year-old goes to a daycare that goes from infant all the way to pre-K. Last week, she moved up from the toddler program to the preschool program. Her classroom has two main teachers, one who starts early and leaves around 3.30, and one who starts late and I see every afternoon at pickup. I love the AM teacher. She's warm, always has a smile, and seems to love all the kids. The afternoon teacher, Mandy, I get a bad vibe from. It's hard to explain, but she seems to heap too much praise on my child. My kid has always been an easy baby. She's naturally calm, very verbal, and mostly thanks to her dad, she's very good about saying please and thank you. Mandy holds up my kid as being the best helper, being kinder, etc. I agree that my kid is great, but it seems unkind to the other children to single her out, and I worry that it'll cause a rift between her and her peers. Mostly I worry about a teacher who seems to confuse politeness with actual kindness. Yes, my kid is kind, but I've known many of these kids since they were babies and know that they are just as sweet, even if they don't always say please or thank you. Again, they're three. I'm wondering if I should bring it up either to the AM teacher to keep an eye on or to the director of the program. My husband doesn't think it's a big deal, but my mom alarm is going off in a way that it hasn't for any other child care provider. I think this is worth talking about. I mean, it's always difficult with these situations with uh, daycare providers and teachers uh, to contemplate the idea of just talking to the person with whom you're having the issue. It is, though, where I would start in this situation. And maybe I wouldn't start directly by saying, you're giving me a weird vibe and what you're doing is making me uncomfortable. What I might do is try perhaps to signal to her the next time she does this, which I agree I don't think it's cool and I think it's weird. And, you know, at the beginning of your reading your email, when we first received it, I sort of thought, oh, this is like one of those humble brag questions about how awesome my kid is. But, you know, the more you kind of break down the situation, the more I realize like this is actually problematic. And this is how some kids get labeled, quote, good kids and other kids don't get labeled that way. And there are class divisions that, that you know, happen from a young age between kids and in classrooms where certain kids uh, you know, for the benefit of being viewed a certain way, live a different experience than other kids. And this might not be that, but if you feel like it could be, it's worth addressing. So I would start very simply. And the next time something like this happens, if this teacher comes to you and says, your child is the most helpful child, I might respond by saying, I think all the kids are super helpful. I mean, it seems like this is a really great class of kids. I would say exactly what you said about all the kids. I've known all these kids forever. They're all great. 
and see if she picks up on the signal. Um, and if she doesn't, then I would talk to either the other teacher or the director of the program. The other teacher might be a good place to start because assuming that they get along and have a good teamwork relationship, uh, she might be able to address it in a way that's more holistic and about their shared classroom rather than a you know an employer di- disciplining an employee, which is how the dynamic would feel if you went over her head to the boss. I'm assuming that she and the other teacher are on equal footing. Um, but even if you do decide to talk to this afternoon teacher maybe it's also worth mentioning it to the morning teacher hey i you know just so you know i did mention to the other teacher that i kind of think that all the kids are helpful and to single my own my own kid out only is a little weird um because then you might just sort of be able to you know flag the behavior of the teacher may be unaware who knows but you're doing it sort of in a place where it's a little bit safer on equal footing and then you can give it some time and see what changes if anything and if nothing changes, then take it to the next level. That would be my that, that's how I would handle it. I think that's probably right. I also think that while I would also be creeped out to see this happening and and would not be super thrilled about it, um, if it turns out that this is not something that you can change, I I think this is probably a thing to let go. That this is not a like make a big stink or or find a new daycare or a new a new preschool. Um, but uh, you may feel differently. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, I think it could be a style thing with this with this particular teacher. I mean, it's not clear in the note if she maybe she says this to all the parents. You know, um, their kid they come <laughs> in to pick them up, and she's like, "Your kid's the best, so nice." Um, and and that's something that she may do or may not do. But even if it's let's just say it is just to this particular parent. Um, I think you're right, Gabe, that this is something that uh, it could be a lot worse, certainly. Um, and I think it's something that I don't know that – and I also don't get a sense that the other kids are hearing this praise. They might be hearing it, but I don't think they're registering it as much uh, as they might being three years of age. I think it's something that they probably hear a lot of anyway in their home life. I think we were all pretty uh, – you know, I think at least I was a very uh, compliment-giving dad to my three-year-old, you know, good job. You're so good. You did great. So I don't think it's something that would be out of the norm to be hearing. So I, I guess my take there is, is, and I, I like, there's two, I want, I like the thing Re- Rebecca said about mirroring back, you know, or saying, Hey, all the kids are great. I love that because you are sort of putting it back on the teacher and she has to absorb that and maybe take it on as something as a, as a, as a critique. That's not an outward uh, critique. And then I like the idea of, of Gabe was just saying like, it's not that big of a deal and it's going to be okay. And eventually she'll be out of that class and, and you'll move on. I, 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 you're saying that Steve is making me realize I may have misread the question or, or, or maybe I didn't. Um, but I got the sense that the teacher is giving this directed praise in the class in front of all the kids that she's saying, Oh, this kid is so kind and great. And is such a good helper in order to sort of set the kid up as an example for the other kids. Like you should all try to oh, be as good of a helper as, as this perfect ch- and angelic child is. I if was reading true, it as a pickup thing. Yeah. Like she picks them up. Yeah. Yeah. So not clear, good point. Not clear from the letter. If it's, if it's my way, if it's happening in the class, then it's creepy and weird. And I think probably like a bad teaching technique and, and it would be better if it weren't happening, but not the end of the world. If it's, really only what the teacher is saying to the mom like oh your kid is so wonderful this is obviously the teacher just trying to be flattering and trying to butter up the mom by talking about how great her kid is and and you don't need to like lap it up and you don't need to encourage it but but it doesn't seem like it's really doing very much damage if she's doing this in front of the class that's weird 
It is weird, right? And yeah, I'm a, totally. I'm against it. Um, but if it's a if it's a hey mom, welcome. You're oh god, your kid's so great. That kind of a thing. I'm 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 okay with it. But boy, that yeah, gosh, I didn't. Wow, the way we read these things. I yeah. did not read it that way. But <laughs> I I guess I, I it was it would be hard for me to imagine somebody writing a, a letter to us saying I'm really bothered by the amount and kind of praise that my child's preschool teacher delivers to me about my child yeah. at pickup. <laughs> that that seems like a weird thing to get. If you're worried about that. I think that's a little weird that you're worried about that. Yeah, but I, I mean, I do think, I, I think the whole, my, my only issue with saying, you know, let it go. I mean, I do think that if this person was inspired to write into our stupid podcast to ask this question, she might have the feeling that it is beyond just pickup time. You know what I mean? She might, and it's worth exploring that because the, the one thing that would be bad about letting this go would be that then, you know, I just think about the kids on the other side of this equation. If this is a situation where in the classroom this teacher is saying, hey, everybody, can't you just be more like so-and-so? Like, that sucks. That totally sucks. It sucks for everyone else, and it sucks for her kid. And it is a bigger deal than just getting too much praise. It's basically, like I said, setting up a class system in the in the classroom. Uh, I think it's worth exploring I, I do recommend sort of lower stakes exploration and pushback initially and not going in guns blazing like, you know, you're you're fighting some huge injustice because you don't actually know. But if that is what you're dealing with, I would I definitely wouldn't do nothing. I don't know. To me, it, it, it just maybe because I am, uh, you know, <laughs> living in a culture full of toxic, toxic masculinity and a patriarchy. I have, you know, like, like more finely attuned justice hackles where shit like this is concerned. But um. I, the, the the idea that you're sort of stacking kids up and ranking them and your professional educator or caretaker who's supposed to you know be invested in the development of all the kids equally it bothers me it really does it um, should be it should be like with Jesus where he he loves the sinners who come back more than he loves the ones who are good from the beginning right that's what exactly. you want <laughs> exactly that's I deep that got that. deep fast that's 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 my recollection of 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 what I once learned about Jesus. Um, we, interesting Christian swerve there. All right. Um, mm. thanks, for the, uh, thanks for the question. And um, let us know um, if we got that completely wrong. Feel free to send us an email. All right. Uh, we're going to hear our third question from a listener now, again, being read by Rachel Hampton. This one will be answered on our Slate Plus segment. Dear mom and dad are fighting. My two-year-old daughter is being a dick to the younger girl she shares her nanny with. I tried rewarding her for good behavior with M&Ms, which worked, but now my wife and I are worried our daughter will get fat. Can you recommend a better behavior modification technique? We punish her with timeouts for bad behavior, but we need a better reward for good behavior. Uh, And you can hear us discuss and respond to that question on our Slate Plus segment. If you're not yet a member, sign up at slate.com slash momanddadplus. Time now for the part of the show that we like to call recommendations. It's where we make recommendations. Steve, did you bring with you a recommendation? Yeah, and I can I be the jerk that does two? Totally, I'll allow it. You've been Come on, on the show I'm for a, a guest. while. <laughs> sure, and I don't get to I don't get to recommend things very you, often. You Nobody can make two. You can make two recommendations, but then Rebecca and I will decide which one is better. Okay, that's fine. Um, so I uh, my first one is I love so much the kids tv show odd squad i think it is so good and so funny and it's the few one of the very few shows that we all sit down together as a family to watch it 
has it's absurd it's like sometimes kind of sort of surreal it's got this high level of humor that is just for the adults and then there's a sort of other level for the kids my four-year-old loves it my seven-year-old loves it it is so great and i just cannot recommend it enough as like a fun family show that is delightful and so well done and the kids that are in it are fantastic and it's just great i mean i can i say any more about it no uh, where where can where can we find that show, Steve? It is a PBS show. It's on P- the PBS Kids like app on your Roku and whatever else you may have. And also, it's it's a PBS show that you can you can you know you can watch there or, or DVR it or whatever. Sounds um, great. It's so good. It's just so good. Um, uh, and then the other thing I just want to quickly recommend, just and it's it's coming out in October, is the 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 new Harry Potter. Uh, Brian Selznick, who's an illustrator, ha- is doing the new uh, – they, they asked him to do the new covers for the Harry Potter reprints that are coming out in October. And so he uh, did the illustrations for for them, and they are absolutely stunning and hmm. a little creepy. Uh, they're dar- much darker than the illustrations from the previous uh, covers. Um, it's got a real sort of menacing quality to them. And they're just really, really uh, sort of intoxicating to look at. They're in black and white. They're like pencil sketches. Uh, highly recommend checking those out when they're released uh, from Scholastic, I think, uh, in mid to late October. Nice. All right, Rebecca, which of those recommendations was better? <laughs> I, You know, I always love a good TV recommendation because I feel like this, you know, the entire Slate podcast universe is so bookish, so literary. So when someone admits they actually watch TV, I get super excited because I feel like I'm the only one who ever talks about that. <laughs> so I'm voting for the Odd Squad, although yeah. I do think the re-release of the Harry Potters with the new covers would be an outstanding gift for perhaps a college student who loved those books when she was little and it would be like nostalgic and also cool to get that set for her, would it not? It, uh, would. it definitely would. Um, it would. Okay. So uh, first of all, I want to say that's a grotesque misrepresentation of the Slate Podcast <laughs> universe, which, which, which I think is, is is obsessed with television more than, any, more than any it's other medium. I, I Next week, uh, I'll, I'll be on the Slate Culture Gab Fest, where I'm, I'm sure we're going to discuss at least one, if not two, television shows. And it's very unlikely we will talk about a book. Um in terms of those recommendations, I also am going to opt for the Odd Squad recommendation, which I had never heard of, and it sounds great. And I would love to have a show that I can watch with my four-year-old and my seven-year-old, so I'm excited about that. Uh, whereas I, I wonder if the Harry Potter franchise uh, needs the the little boost from from Slate's Mom and Dad Are Fighting <laughs> podcast quite to the same You're right, extent. Gabe. You're right. You're um, right. So You're right. Two, two good recommendations, but I, I think the first one is the winner. Um, okay, fine. <laughs> my own recommendation is something that it, uh, it's not like it's it, unlike Steve's recommendation of the Odd Squad. This is not something for the whole family to enjoy together. This is something for the kids to enjoy and serves a function for the parents. Um, what I figured, okay. So one of the problems I have with Leo, who's four, is that he, the only stories I can he really likes are the ones that he recognizes from TV or movies. Like we read some great books, but then mostly he wants to read the books that are adaptations of an episode of Jake and the Neverland Pirates or something stupid like that. Um, what I just found is that if you have a Spotify account, I've talked about how much I, I use Spotify in my parenting before. Search for Disney Storybook or Disney Storyteller. There are playlists that have like every single Disney movie. There's like a 45-minute audiobook version with like clips from the songs and the voices of the characters, but then someone telling the story. And I can often keep him 
entertained for 45 minutes without a screen just by playing one of these Spotify things. And he can pick whichever Disney movie he wants. And then I have 45 minutes to do the laundry or whatever else it is. So my recommendation is uh, the Disney Storyteller playlists on Spotify. Entirely functional recommendation. There's no joy in it, um, but but it, it, it is extremely helpful. I, I think there's a huge missed opportunity, like in the audio space in general, for just audio casts of things like that. You know, I think about, you know, when my kids were little and they used to watch the same movies over and over again, like a lot of times they weren't watching it. They were just listening to it. Mm-hmm. It was just like the background sound as they were playing in the playroom or whatever. And I don't you think that, you know, just like the audio of something that they're familiar with, like that would totally work and keep them away from staring at things. <laughs> I think it would. That's basically what this is. That's basically the yeah. function that this serves. Oh, my yeah. God. I just looked it up on Spotify, Gabe. Right? It's amazing. Right? Like, it has all the Pixar ones, too, now, because those are Disney <laughs> movies, too. So we did Monsters, Inc. the other day. It's ridiculous. I'm listening to some guy with a baritone tell the story of Monsters, Inc. <laughs> it's, so, it's so stupid, but it keeps, it keeps him busy. Oh, I think awesome. you could audition to be one of those readers. You're pretty. I think that was sound, sounded actually pretty awesome. It, it's kind of you to say, and and maybe next week I won't be here because I'll be busy explaining the plot of Wreck It Ralph Two. Ralph breaks the internet. Uh, <laughs> um, what about you, Rebecca? What do you recommend? Uh, I'm going to recommend a recent episode of a radio show that is produced at my own station, New Hampshire Public Radio. Uh, It's really outstanding and addresses something that we've talked about a lot on this show. Uh, The show Word of Mouth, which also has a podcast. So we have both links, um, both to the website, which you can hit hit play or to the podcast feed, did an episode this week called When Love Isn't Enough that looks at transracial adoption and the very complex conversation around transracial adoption, uh, the trauma of adoptees of color into white families, uh, the sort of white adoptive parent saviorism uh, conversation that's been going on. It is so good. I listened to it this morning and really was very moved by it and learned a lot about a lot of the issues at play here. What I really love about the way they put this together is, you know, they talked to somebody who had done some reporting on this and some advocacy work on it, but then they also talk to a bunch of adoptees and you really hear the voices of uh, people largely living where I live in New Hampshire in white communities talking about their experience as kids, uh, people of color living with white parents in white communities. It is really worth a listen. Again, the episode is called When Love Isn't Enough, and that is from Word of Mouth from New Hampshire Public Radio. Nice. Uh, We'll put a link to that and all the others in our show page that's it for our show today. If you have a question that you want us to tackle, you can call us at 424-255-7833 or send us an email at slate.com. Let us know what you thought of this episode at our lively and active Facebook group. Go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. Our show is produced by Benjamin Frisch. Thanks to Steve Lichtai for sitting in this week. Carvel Wallace will be, will be back next week. For Steve and Rebecca Lavoy, I'm Gabriel Roth, and we'll see you next time. slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.